What's going on at Old Fort Johnson this year? Well, we've gone back this year after a few years of uh, not doing too much because, of course, you know, the pandemic. And, and actually, we had some, uh, because of the flood, we had some work done on the grounds in the area in, in flood restoration and abatement work. Uh, so we're back to pretty much a full schedule. Hi, Bob. This is Scott Hefner. I'm the site manager at Old Fort Johnson in Fort Johnson, New York. I'm here at the home of Sir William Johnson, who built this house in 1749. He was the British Commissioner for Indian Affairs, and Old Fort Johnson was an important military post and Indian council site from 1754 until 1763. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Yes, Scott Hefner is with us. What does it mean to be the site manager of this historic place? I jokingly tell people it's better than having a real job. I live here on site, and I do pretty much everything. I uh, manage the tours and design exhibits and set up for our events and more mundane things like paint the trim and mow the lawn. And and it's a little bit of everything every day, which makes it interesting because there's something to do different every day. I go back with Old Fort Johnson myself some decades because when when I was in high school, I knew uh, Sam Canavan, who lived at the fort as you do. Actually, I knew his daughter, uh, Joan Canavan, who still with us. In fact, she's married a man named John lost, and I mean, there's a whole whole other story. So I remember going over there. It seemed odd to me at the time, you know, this because in their case, it was a whole family of people uh, living at Old Fort Johnson. Yep, they had uh, they had the uh, whole. We have a, a caretaker's house in back that was built for the caretakers, and Sam's family was one a line of people that had been here since uh, starting in 1906. I kind of live here. I live here by myself. When I came along, there were the, before I came along, the the caretakers had the whole house in back. And just before I came along, they decided we needed a a visitor center and a sort of a gift shop. So they sort of relegated me to the upstairs. But uh, we we kind of, we kind of share the house now. Mm -hmm. Um, When did did you come along? How long have you actually lived there? Well, this past November, I celebrated 20 years here at Fort Johnson. Seems like because, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I would think so. But uh, it seems to me it's been uh, been productive. You've uh, written um, other books while you've uh, lived there, and you do, do all this stuff to uh, keep the old Fort Johnson going. It, it's, I don't know, it's not unique probably by any means, but the thing I like about old Fort Johnson is it's different from a, let's say, state historic site, which is the other major Johnson home, Johnson Hall. I mean, that's that's operated by the state of New York, isn't it? Correct, and and we're a private, non-for-profit owned by the Montgomery County Historical Society, which is a, a member organization with a board of trustees. And I always say we're 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 we've been here longer. Uh, we opened to the public in July of 1906, and Johnson Hall didn't open until the summer of 1907, so we, we've been here a little a little longer than they have. The thing that makes it unique, I think, is that here we have this prominent 18th century guy, and there are two houses that show two different phases of his career, and that's kind of unique. Most of the time you go visit a, a historic house, and it's 
frozen in one moment in the person or the family's life. And here in upstate New York, you could see a development of someone's career over, you know, how they lived in their early career and how they lived in their later career. And that, I think, makes the Johnson houses unique in New York State. He built the old, what we call Old Fort Johnson first, 1749. It's a stone house, right? Built of limestone? He built the house. Really, uh, his initial reason to build the house was to show off the money he had made in the fur trade. Uh, and it was a, there was a whole complex here that, that involved outbuildings and mills, a, a grist mill and a sawmill. And he was, it was really sort of an exercise in conspicuous consumption. When he built it, it was the largest private home in the Mohawk Valley west of Schenectady. So it was meant to show off uh, the money he had made in the fur trade. And then when did he build his other bigger mansion up in Johnstown? built Johnson Hall and moved in there in 1763 after the, uh, well, what we call the French and Indian War and what the rest of the world calls the Seven Years' War. And he was a hero in that war, to the British anyway, right? He was. He, uh, the war started in late in 1754, uh, and it was really a conflict in North America about who would control the waterways and the access into what we would consider the Great Lakes and the Ohio Valley, uh, a conflict between the British here in this colony and the French in Canada. Uh, and it wasn't going so well. The, the, the early year of the war was marked with a number of disasters in several places. And Johnson scored what was really the first victory against the French by defeating a French force at the Battle of Lake George in early September of 1755. So they made him a, a knight because of that, right? Or right. put him he was, in the he aristocracy. Was named, uh, uh, Sir William Johnson, uh, the Baronet of New York, they made, they at that point, they appointed him the permanent superintendent for Indian affairs for the northern colonies. So he was the British government's representative to the native tribes here, uh, and they gave him a cash prize of about 5,000 pounds, which was a lot of money. Okay. So was it then that he started building the other house, you know, the bigger house? or No, it was, it was uh, he stayed here at Fort Johnson and made it his headquarters through the French and Indian War. Uh, and then when the war ended, he moved on to other projects that involved uh, settling tenants on land, and that's when he built Johnson Hall. I've looked uh, at, at the kind of the brief summary of uh, Old Fort Johnson on your on your website, and I've been scratching my head because I can't figure this one out, though I'm sure you'll explain it quickly. It says that the Johnsons had four homes, and I can only account for three of them. There was Old Fort Johnson, there's Johnson Hall up in Johnstown. And then in Amsterdam, my hometown, which is near Fort Johnson, Sir William had built Guy Park Manor for his nephew, was it? Uh, Correct. Uh, Guy his, Johnson. His nephew, his nephew, Guy Johnson, married one of William Johnson's daughters. So Guy married his first cousin, and Guy Park was built for them. But there were previously two other homes. Johnson came over here in the spring of 1738 to manage lands owned by his uncle, who owned a huge tract of land on the south side of the Mohawk, more or less, you know, sort of the town of Florida, 
um, mm-hmm. that area near where Schoharie Crossing is today. So Johnson had a house over there, and then in 1742 he moved to the north side of the river and built a little stone house about where the railroad station is now uh, on the west end of the city of Amsterdam. That house isn't there either. So the, the two early houses are gone. And so what remains is uh, Guy Park, Fort Johnson, and Johnson Hall. And Guy Park is really not, well, it was really badly damaged during the floods caused by Hurricane Irene and another hurricane that came came through the Mohawk right. Valley in the 2000s, right? Yeah, Hurricane Lee, and uh, or Irene and Lee, that was in August of 2011. It was badly damaged, and the... Historic site is is now owned by the Canal Corporation, the house and the land. And they have been trying to come up with a plan for its its reuse. And they have been struggling with finding a, a new use for the building. Uh, so it was it was stabilized at the time of the flood, and they're sort of developing plans to do something with it. Now, it seems to me our friend Norm Boland from the Fort Plain Museum who puts on a big, uh, he and his colleague Brian Mack put on a big American Revolutionary War conference every year. He, he's of the opinion that Guy Park Manor could become a museum of the loyalist faction, which is what uh, you would, you describe the politics of William Johnson. Uh, can, can you state opinions on things like that with your the job you have, or what do you think of that? I think that's a great idea. To be quite frank, it, it's finding someone to come up with the money to do that. William Johnson himself was not technically a loyalist. I mean, he died before the American Revolution right. began. But his his kids and uh, his son John and, and his son-in-law and nephew Guy Johnson fled to Canada as loyalists. And about a third of New Yorkers left for Canada at the beginning of the revolution. And, you know, this is uh, sort of an untold story here in America uh, that the revolution was very much like a civil war because you had um, Americans who stayed, who fought on the what we will call the, um, the American side in the revolution, and then you have loyalists who left who actually came back and fought for the British. So you have a conflict here in the Mohawk Valley where you have, uh, you know, uh, your, these are your, your sons and your cousins and your former friends who are coming through and, and fighting uh, the people who are here. So it, it, it turns into, it's very much like a, uh, the first mm-hmm. civil war in America. And here's what I think about the creation of Old Fort Johnson as an historic site. The nearby city of Amsterdam started to grow, became rather prosperous, and there are people like uh, Stephen Sanford, who owned a big uh, carpet mill or was head of a big uh, carpet mill, uh, was collecting things about the American Revolution. And it was almost like one of those old movies. They'll say, let's let's put on a show. <laughs> Somebody in Amsterdam said, well, why don't we preserve Fort Johnson? Because as the 1800s were coming to an end, Fort Johnson was still a private residence, right? That's correct. It was. It was because, of course, the remain the Johnson family who were alive in the Revolution all fled to Canada. All of their property was seized by the the new American government, uh, and that 
gets into a complicated story that we don't have to get into. But the the whole idea is that the uh, local revolutionary committee sold the property to private owners. Actually, they sold it to Albert Vetter, who is credited as being the founder of Amsterdam. And it went through private hands and was owned by a succession of families until the historical society uh, it was purchased and given to them in, in 1905. Uh, my recollection is the last private owner was Ethan Aiken, uh, which right. was a, sort of a well-known fa- family. When his son became the very controversial mayor of Amsterdam, Theron Aiken. And but anyway, but so and very, Ethan and a very and a very heartily disliked member of Congress too. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Nobody... Theron Aiken was a was a he was a quite a character. But uh, Ethan Aiken had grown up here in Amsterdam. In fact, his uncle owned Johnson Hall in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Ethan Aiken's wife was a woman named Susan St. John, whose grandfather had surveyed and founded St. Johnsville, and it's actually named after them. So they were a very, they were a a family with a lot of local ties. Um, Mr. Aiken was a corporate attorney for the New York Central Railroad. So they had a big house on Madison Avenue in New York City, and they used Fort Johnson mostly as a summer home. Makes sense. Well, so then this local group forms, uh, you know, raising money, and they buy it from him? They get a man named John Watts, Major General John Watts de Peister. Major General de Peister was a great nephew of John Johnson's wife. This isn't too complicated. Yes, I know. Mr. de Peister would uh, fund projects that had a connection to the Watts and the DePeister families. And so because John Johnson's wife was a Watts, he was persuaded to buy the fort and give it to the newly formed Montgomery County Historical Society. And that happened in 1906? 1905. Yeah, and the Historical Society had been founded the year before by a group of Amsterdam businessmen. They were looking to improve the cultural life of Amsterdam. You know, Amsterdam in 1904-1905 was a very wealthy place, and a lot of people had made a lot of money, and they were developing, you know, they wanted, okay, we've made all this money, we want to develop, uh, you know, cultural resources in Amsterdam. So at that time, you know, they had a choral group, they had an orchestra, and uh, founding a historical society uh, seemed to be a good... uh, uh, a good adjunct to these other, you know, sort of cultural programs that they were developing at the time. But it opened in 1906 as an historic site, or yes. no? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took them about a year to get it sort of restored and, and open to the public. It looks pretty much now as it looked then? It it does. One of the things is that the the people who owned Fort Johnson, who lived here, didn't really do much to the house. They more or less left it the way it was, and its appearance pretty much is the same as it was after William Johnson's son did some renovations to it around 1770. Um, you know, it was a it was a house. It was built as a house. It was then turned into a fort during the French and Indian War by William Johnson, and then after he went to Johnson Hall, he turned the house over to John, his oldest son, and John sort of removed the fortifications and turned it back into a house. 
In fact, it has one, it had a, I've written a couple of columns about this, had a famous outhouse. I think one of uh, a half a dozen pre-revolutionary outhouses left in the United States. Uh, it originally uh, hung on a sort of a stone arch out over the creek. So what you put into it just sort of flowed away, almost running water. <laughs> I know I've heard you make some sport with this, is that um, people will say to you, boy, what would, did Sir William think of the trains that kept going by? I heard one a few minutes ago. Of course, there were no trains. People have asked me, you know, why did Sir William build his house so close to the trains? <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, that uh, he died in 1774, uh, and they didn't run the trains through until 1838. We've probably heard them in the background as we've been talking. There's the um, river, and which has become the can- barge canal, or made into a canal, and bad weather can, has affected Old Fort Johnson. We, talk, we talked about how Guy Park Manor was uh, damaged, uh, the hurricanes, uh, Irene and Lee, but y- your building was damaged also, right? We had about 10 feet of water in the front yard, and so it, it, it flooded out the fort up to the mantle, the top of the mantle pieces in that flood in 2011. Um, but we were very lucky where the house was back far enough from the river that it wasn't the the structure wasn't damaged by the by the current the flow of the of the flooded river. Um, it took us about a year to clean the mud out and restore the plaster and get it dried out. Uh, but we were very lucky that it didn't uh, it didn't actually damage the structure itself. I mentioned how I knew the Canavan family somewhat, and also when I started in the in the history game. Uh, with the Amsterdam documentary, it's a television documentary for WMHT, one of the key interviews that I did was with uh, Catherine Strobeck, who was uh, an Amsterdam historian. She's passed away uh, by now, and we interviewed her at Old Fort Johnson back in 1999. And, you know, that was kind of fun to, to talk to somebody about history in such a historic place. I remember I remember Miss Strobeck very well, and she was a, a great resource and had you know worked as uh, the county historian and she actually was the president of the Montgomery County Historical Society at one point and had been very active for many years volunteering here uh, at Fort Johnson and and she was a great uh, resource. I I still I still miss Miss Strobeck. And our friend uh, Peter Betts, I think he's the head of your board or something like that. Uh, I've talked with him about the development of Old Fort Johnson. There was a, there were a couple of women, or maybe just one, who had a lot to do with uh, bringing the Old Fort Johnson into uh, historic building cat- status, if you will. Yeah, one of the early presidents was... Um uh, Mrs. Estelle Green, who was president from 1913 to 1934. Her husband, Fred Green, owned the Green Knitting Mill in Amsterdam. Uh, and she was part of a committee that got Fort Johnson ready and open to the public in 1906. So here we are in uh, 2023, 
the middle of the summer or the start of the summer. Uh, what's going on at Old Fort Johnson this year? Well, we've gone back this year after a few years of uh, not doing too much because, of course, you know, the the, the pandemic. And, and actually, we had some, uh, because of the flood, we had some work done on the grounds in the area in, in flood restoration and abatement work. Uh, so we're back to pretty much a full schedule. Uh, you mentioned uh, coming up uh, right after this program is, is broadcast uh, on Wednesday, June 21st. We actually have um, uh, Joan Canavan Los, her husband, uh, John Los, is a, a, a Windsor chairmaker. Oh, that's uh, true. Yes, yes. And he is coming to speak on Windsor chairs and how they're, how he builds them and their history and their and sort of the stylistic differences because there actually are a whole bunch of different kinds of of uh, Windsor chairs and we're looking forward to having him uh, come and, and talk. And you also have Tavern Night. Yes, I would be. Somebody would probably be really angry at me if I didn't answer that. Uh, uh, talk about that. We do on Friday, July twenty eighth, from four to eight p.m. Uh, we do a, uh, a colonial tavern night out in the yard. We put a, a big tent. We have local beer from some of the um, breweries here in the Mohawk Valley. Uh, we do a full pulled pork barbecue dinner. And this year we're having um, live music performed by a group called Toss the Feathers, which is a traditional Irish band. So there'll be food and beer and Irish music out in the lawn uh, on Friday, July 28th. And you have a harvest fest and then holiday teas toward Christmas time. Yep, yep, we do. We, we clear out the downstairs of the fort in, in early December, the first Saturday in December, December 2nd, and we do a, a two seatings, 11 o'clock and 2 o'clock, uh, a holiday tea in the fort. Uh, we also do tea in the garden during the summertime, the second Tuesday of the month. In June, July, and August, uh, we do a tea in the garden where we set up tents outside, uh, and we have, you know, there's tea and sandwiches and cookies, and that's always a popular uh, event. What if you just want to come and look at Old Fort Johnson? Uh, what's the deal with that, or when are you open, and what will you see there? Well, you you called us actually on our on our opening uh, on our opening day. I know this is going to be broadcast a little later, but uh, we are open now for the season uh, from Wednesday to Saturday from 10 to 4 and Sunday from 1 to 5. Uh, and we do guided tours of the fort where we talk about William Johnson and the early settlement of the Mohawk Valley. Uh, and we talk about uh, Montgomery County history, too. Um, our temporary exhibit this year is, is because we've been in existence for a very long time, the Historical Society, we have collected a, a sort of a wild assortment of stuff uh, along <laughs> the way. And so we have an exhibit uh, called a Cabinet of Curiosities, uh, which is a room full of essentially the odds and ends that people have donated over the years that are unusual. Arrows from the Custer's Last Stand at Little Bighorn, pieces of... Uh, pieces of, uh, there's a piece of bark from a tree that Jefferson tied his horse to when he was <laughs> inaugurated as president, uh, snowshoes that were said to be used at Valley Forge, and there's sort of this whole variety of, of sort of odd things that we have picked up over the years. And isn't here the story, and I'm blanking on his name, 
But the the man who killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel, wasn't it talked about that he was interested in buying the fort? Aaron, Aaron Burr, yes. Aaron Burr was up here in Johnstown practicing law in 1788. And at the time, Fort Johnson and quite a lot of acreage around it was for sale. And Burr came down apparently and saw it. And he wrote this really enthusiastic letter to his wife describing how wonderful this house was and how, the, how beautiful the setting was and how he, he really thought they ought to buy it. And his wife more or less wrote back and said, you've got to be kidding me. That's in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. You are not buying a house that far away from New York City. Uh, and so he didn't. Uh, and the way his life turned out later, he probably should have bought it and, and come up here to practice law, uh, because that was before he got into uh, a lot of political difficulties down from living in New York City. And George Washington apparently did not sleep there, but it looks like he used the toilet, and he, he visited there one, at one point. On an inspection tour of the Mohawk Valley in 1783, working his way down to uh, Fort Plain. And according to the journal that was kept of his movements, they stopped here at Fort Johnson uh, and had lunch on the grounds. Now, uh, George Washington had met William Johnson at a conference in Alexandria, Virginia, many years before, in, in 1755. So he, he knew. William Johnson, and he apparently wanted to see this house. Uh, and, of course, I joke that our, our privy was on the site, and I don't know what you have to do after a heavy lunch uh, before you're going to get on your horse and ride 20 miles. Uh, but we assume that uh, Washington had to go before he left, uh, <laughs> so we say he's the most famous occupant of our privy. And I use the headline in the column about this, George Washington, you know, he didn't sleep there, George Washington sat there. Yes, exactly. In one, in one way or another, he sat here. <laughs> well, it's been a, a pleasure uh, talking with you about old Fort Johnson, Scott Hefner. Uh, do you have any new books planned or anything like that about your own historical interests? I have to say I don't. I, you, One of your other guests I know is uh, Kelly Yakabuchi Farquhar, the Montgomery County historian. And, and we talk about new projects um, but both of us tend to be so busy, we haven't really gotten anything uh, uh, planned yet. But hopefully there'll be something in the, in the future. Well, again, uh, Scott Hefner, site manager of Old Fort Johnson. Oh, okay, questions keep bouncing into my head. This is a political one. Weren't they going to drop Fort Johnson? I mean, the people that live there, they were, or they were going to unincorporate their village of Fort Johnson? We did. In fact, we had a vote last uh, winter, um, and uh, the residents of the village did vote and pass a resolution uh, to unincorporate the village of Fort Johnson. Uh, that will happen this December, um, and then the, the village will, it will just become an unincorporated area within the town of Amsterdam. So our services will be taken over by the town of Amsterdam. It was, a lot of people were sad over it, although it is probably time to do it, the expense of a village government. And there are only about 560 people who live in the village. Um, and it would be just more efficient for our uh, government to be taken over by the town of Amsterdam. Uh, and they will provide the same services for us 
probably at a better rate. And so it was more a case of efficiency than anything else. But it, it is sad to see it go. The, the village was formed in 1909, um, and, uh, and it will sort of pass into history. Scott Hefner is site manager of Old Fort Johnson Historic Site. Please help support the Historian's Podcast by sending a donation. You'll find the link to our GoFundMe page on our website, bobcudmore.com, or you can make out a check to me, Bob Cudmore, and mail it to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Thank you, and let's keep history alive. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cutmore.